Here's a message from today's episode's sponsor. First Financial Bank is one of the nation's leading small business lenders, originating nearly $400 million in pharmacy loans. Their lending team has over 75 years of pharmacy experience and includes pharmacists as well as current and former pharmacy owners. They have the industry-specific expertise and knowledge to help you finance your pharmacy. First Financial was approved to offer small business administration loan products under SBA's preferred lender program and offer financing solutions to help practicing pharmacists meet a wide range of business needs, such as acquisition, equipment financing, expansion and remodeling, business refinancing, and startups. Learn more at ffb1.com. That's ffb1.com. Member FDIC. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Physician Pharmacist Podcast, a show designed to shed some light on a very unusual pathway into medicine. I'm your host, Nathan Garland. I'm a licensed pharmacist and second year medical student. I'm also the author of PharmD to MD and the owner of the Physician Pharmacist Company. Most pharmacy students and professional graduates are aware of the possibility of going to medical school, but very few actually take the leap. We're here to unpack some of these details and open your eyes to the possibility of a career in both pharmacy and medicine. In today's show, we will cover topics related to applying to medical school, international medicine, a recap of our entire year of clinical rotations, including surgical rotations, introduce USMLE Step 2, our national licensure exam, and finish up with the medical residency application process. I'm very excited for our third episode of the Physician Pharmacist Podcast mini-series, where we will be interviewing Dr. Tess Calcagno. Dr. Calcagno received her pharmacy doctorate from Duquesne University in 2019, Upon graduation, she immediately matriculated into the University of Miami School of Medicine in Florida. She is currently finishing up with her third year of medical school and has a year of clinical rotations under her belt and is quickly approaching the medical residency applications. Welcome, Dr. Tess Kilcagno. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the show, and I think we're going to have a great episode today, and we're just going to unpack a lot of details and share a lot with the pharmacy community. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's do it. Alrighty. So uh, we'll start out with some general questions. Um, now that we've heard, you know, your introduction and a little bit about you, let's let's hear a little bit more about that. You know, what got you started with pharmacy in the first place? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from central Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up near Hershey, Pennsylvania, specifically. Um, and when I was in high school, I was looking at sort of anything in the healthcare field. Um, and I was very drawn towards pharmacy because, you know, I was, I was really interested in chemistry in high school and they had, you know, these six year farm B programs. Um, so it seemed like something that was, you know, it, it would fit like a nice timeline and I'd have a good career and I'd be able to, you know, enjoy life outside of my career um, as well. So I went ahead and took the leap and applied to pharmacy school at Duquesne University with Nate um, in Pittsburgh. Awesome. Yeah, I, I followed a very similar kind of introduction into 
pharmacy as well. Uh, I was I heard about the two plus four program, and I like the how you mentioned like, the balance outside of you know, I guess outside of work and outside of your studies, you could get the degree taken care of in a couple of years, and then you'd have you know a pretty good salary and a very good work life balance. So that was one of the major features that drew me into the practice, as well as you know the classic uh, cliche of oh I was good at math and science. So I, I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a cliche answer, but it's honestly, what do we have to go off of in high school, right? So exactly. Um, So kind of building on that was was going to medical school, you know, always your plan. It seems like pharmacy was the original, you know, plan, I guess, you know, what, how did you transition into the, the idea of wanting to go to medical school? Yeah, so it it definitely was not my original plan. When I first went to pharmacy school, I remember going home like the summer of freshman year of, uh, of college and and I was working at this uh, little um, retail pharmacy and I was like, you know, I was pretty sure that that, that was what I was going to do. It wasn't until um, my first professional year in the pharmacy program. So like um, year one of pharmacy school itself, not undergrad, um, where I started to see um, more of the, again, cliche, but the science courses and specifically the courses related to medicine. And that idea kind of came into my head at that point. And then throughout pharmacy school, it was this idea was kind of fed um, by different experiences that I had, like in the clinics um, and just just in class itself, just being fascinated with the information. Yeah. And I think I'd also like to add to that, you know, to humbly recognize, you know, the mentors that we, you know, you, I'd like to say, like, I'd recognize that you served as my first, you know, introduction to medical school. Well, you know, I had been considering the idea similar to yourself, you know, it was only a fantasy in my head. I I remember telling you about, or you telling me about your ambitions for medical school while you were on pharmacy based, you know, medical mission trip in Haiti this introduction along with the work we did on the ground was like profoundly influential in my own decision to seek out care in medicine. So I think, you know, having a mentor like yourself was super influential. And I know you had a mentor, you know, along the way that also helped influence your decision. I think, and I I thank you for that. Um, I feel very honored to be, you know, have served in any way um, for you. Um, And I know that having somebody where you can kind of see like, oh, hey, like, it's possible. This isn't like some crazy thing that, you know, you're just kind of coming up with in your head for your own, you know, crazy reasons, but no, this is, this is something that can be done. And I think knowing that like most applicants that, um, that go into medical school these days, they've, you know, they've done something after undergrad, whether that's like another graduate degree, or maybe they've taken a year off for research. Maybe they've traveled, you know, maybe they've had a whole different career, you know, so it's, it it kind of normalizes like this, this route to, uh, to medicine. Certainly. And what I've seen in my experience is that the PharmD is no longer a destination degree. It seems to be a stepping stone um, for a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's being utilized uh, because it's a very recognizable degree. It has, holds a lot of merit and status, I think. So it's very useful to transition into other fields and use that background. So yeah, I love I that. I agree. Yeah. Even, you know, outside of medicine, it's, it's a stepping stone for a lot, you know, law school as well. Um, you know, PhD or maybe like a 
you know, uh, masters in public health, many things. Exactly. And kind of building off of to that, I mentioned, you know, our medical mission trip to Haiti. I was curious to know and ask you, do you still have an interest in global medicine? And would you recommend pharmacy students participate in a similar experience if given the opportunity? Because I, I definitely would because of how you know influential it was in my decision making, just in my clinical exposure and perspective of healthcare. Yeah, you know, when I was in pharmacy school and when we went on the trip to Haiti together, um, it was a, it was really cool because that was like my first time seeing the patient in in the entirety of the clinic visit, you know, kind of shadowing and getting that exposure. And in that setting, I feel like it's it's very good exposure because you're able to see um, a wide variety of patients quickly. You know, you're working with the physician closely and as far as global medicine, um, I think that I am very interested in it still. Um, it's part of the reason I chose University of Miami. We have a population of people from around the world actually living here um, in our hospital. A lot of people are from South America, Central America. We have people from Haiti, so in the Caribbean as well. And then, you know, it's very multi uh, national here in our, in our hospital. So that's been like kind of my way to pursue global medicine locally, which has been really cool. Fantastic. Well, we'll transition into our next uh, section of the interview and that's talking about the medical school application. Uh, so I know it's been a little while, um, since you know, you applied yeah. at this point, uh, the processes are already ch changed dramatically just within the last four years. Um, do you mind just sharing a little bit of what that process was like for you, especially while doing it in pharmacy school? Yeah, so the the process was, I remember it being very early, you know, it's it's a year and some change before you're actually matriculating into medical school. Um, and I remember that I had to be very organized, you know, AMCAS opens at a certain time and you want to be able to submit it the very first day since applications are rolling, at least they, they were back when I was um, applying. And I, as far as balancing that with pharmacy school, I was on, um, you know, my fourth year of pharmacy school. And like, as you guys know, uh, if you're in pharmacy school now, um, or if you're a practicing pharmacist, the fourth year is primarily like clinical rotations. So you can be flexible in terms of interviewing and, and taking electives at different times and kind of like molding your schedule to how you want um, to spend your time. Yeah, that, that was great. I, I think 100%. It was much easier once the rotations had started because I could make my own schedule. I wasn't really dependent on exams. And I think that was a major feature um, that yeah, I appreciated. Yeah. Like you mentioned, off blocks as well for, for interview season. So you could you know, fine tune your application or fine tune your experiences to, to yeah. match your interview cycle. Leading up to API rotations, I would argue that it's pretty uh, pretty stressful time period when you have to plan for oh, the MCAT yeah. and everything yeah. like that. I would agree. Like once you have all, uh, I guess once you have all your ducks in a row per se, like you have your letters of recommendation, you have, you know, your MCAT scores done, you've written your personal statement maybe, and you're gearing up to apply the actual year of application was not stressful, but I think the preparation component, um, you know, it, it, it can be stressful, but just taking it one step at a time and realizing 
the things that you need to uh, kind of have in place for that that year to be a smooth transition into into medical school. One of the nice features, too, is that a lot of pharmacy students who are interested in pharmacy residencies have already been working on building their application up. Um, so transitioning over into medicine wasn't anything, you know, too far fetched. We had already put the, you know, the work in to have good grades. We had already been involved in research experiences. So we didn't really have too much more legwork. Uh, it was more so of, you know, organizing everything and making sure we checked all the boxes. Yeah, I think I think the major, you know, key to success during the final year before you apply is just organization. You know, at that point, you've you've put in all of the grunt work throughout your time in pharmacy school and undergrad. You know, now it's just time to kind of make sure everything is like 100 percent where, you know, it needs to be. And if my memory serves me, you had a very successful application cycle with many high tier interviews. When it came down to it, I, you kind of prefaced this already, but I, I know you had to choose between Georgetown and Miami. And Georgetown uh, is a very you know, well-recognized and uh, prestigious program. How did you come to that decision? Was it as obvious as the interest in international medicine, like you mentioned, or were there other features that you had to consider? Because I know you were really struggling between the two at the time period. Yes. Yeah. That's a great question. It's, it's, it's one of those decisions in life where it's kind of like, you know, a hinge point and you often look back on it. Um, but it, I feel that I made the right decision. Um, and at the time, the reason I made the choice was I, you know, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I went to school in Pittsburgh. Um, and I hadn't really lived outside of Pennsylvania. And I kind of wanted to force myself to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, and when I went to interview at the University of Miami, and then when I went back for second look, it felt like a whole new world down here. You know, it's you have a different language, you know, 50% of the time, um, a different culture, you know, the weather's different. It's, it's a different vibe. Um, so yeah, it was, a lot of it was a factors outside of the, the program itself, because I think at the end of the day, like they were pretty, pretty comparable in terms of academics. Fantastic. Alrighty. So kind of moving into the specifics of your medical experience, <clears throat> um, let's discuss your life in medical school. So as you approach the last year of medical school, um, could you tell us a little bit about your journey starting at first year? What was it like? How did you adjust? Yeah, so my journey starting first year, was, it was nice. I had a couple year or a couple months living in Miami before classes began. Um, during those months, I was actually studying to take the NACLEX. Um, so then I, you know, I, I took that exam and then medical school began in August and it was, it was an amazing experience. I met, you know, hundreds of people within the first week. Um, I was introduced into medicine. I had, you know, I got a white coat um, and then, and then the kind of the work began. Um, we did basic sciences during our first year. Um, and we began with anatomy and I just remember <laughs> working very, very hard, um, and trying to balance all the classes. Uh, you know, it felt very, very similar to pharmacy school. And I, I know we'll get, we'll get into that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And anatomy is such a, a beast of a class that it's something, especially as pharmacy students that 
a lot of us have never seen before. We were never trained in the, the intricacy of anatomy. So I think it can be a frustrating class to, to transition into because it's something that we don't have a little bit of a baseline knowledge on. And then we're sitting next to one of our classmates who might have had a PhD in anatomy or did yeah, yeah. You know, extensive work in other classes. So uh, staying in your own lane and recognizing that, you know, you, you have to just work as hard as you can, I think is also an important facet to carry forward. For sure. I, th I think medicine and being in medical school has been a very humbling experience to say the least. And I think that, you know, if, if you do choose to go this route, know that like there, there's still a lot to learn, you know, it's a whole different field. It's a whole different profession, but um, yeah, yeah, it's good. So what's something you like about medical school that's, I guess, a little different from pharmacy school. And then to kind of throw this in there, you know, what do you like what do you remember you liked more in pharmacy school compared to medical school? Is there anything in particular? Yeah, for sure. So the thing that I'll say about medical school that I really, really like, well, I guess there's a couple things, but the, the first one I'll just, I'll relate to academics um, in the sense that in medical school, we spend the large majority of our time um, in clinic. So it's a lot of hands-on experience um, and the lectures that we do have uh, first year and a little bit of second year, they were all recorded. So it felt like a very um, adaptable curriculum where I could like be home in my pajamas and listen to a lecture on 2.5 speed and then, you know, go do some 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 practice questions. And I kind of felt like I was learning more more rapidly and more efficiently. Um, and then the second thing I'll say that I like more about medical school is, the it felt to me that the support system between myself and my colleagues was a little bit stronger. Um, maybe it, maybe it's trauma bonding. I don't know, but just uh, you know, I felt I felt the support was a little bit um, more there as opposed to pharmacy school, where I felt that everybody maybe would go home at the end of the day, like go back to their their own lives. It was less like immersive of a, of an experience. Um, and then for pharmacy school, um, what I liked about that was I would say that the information was a little bit, the resources to which like you acquire the information were a little bit more organized. Um, you know, for example, in medical school, we use a bunch of different question banks to try to do well on our board exams. For pharmacy school, it was just like, you know, the lectures, you know, you like really know those lectures in and out, you'll do well on the exam. Yeah, absolutely. And having just that one comprehensive like NAPLEX style book, that's all you needed. You didn't need any other outside resources versus yeah. I'm gearing up for my step one exam right now. And I have like 15 different tabs open for different like programs and practice questions of the day. And it's yeah. definitely a little less organized. So I 100% appreciate that, uh, that uh, point right there. But um, all right. So you mentioned a little bit of clinical rotations uh, just a moment ago. Um, and so for our listeners, you know, clinical rotations are a major component of the medical school education process uh, in the sense that we spend 50 percent of our time uh, of our years in medical school just in clinic. So our third and fourth year are, are spent basically on the wards or in clinic or in a doctor's office. So, Tess, can you walk us through some rotation basics, some information on shelf exams how the scoring and honor system works and just kind of your day-to-day -day experience. 
That's, I know that's a lot right there. <laughs> yeah, of course I can, um, I can do my best. So I've done all of the basic core clerkships while well, I'm finishing up my last one, um, here in family medicine. Um, so what it kind of is, it it's similar to a day at work. Um, you know, you go in at a certain time and you leave at a certain time and you're expected to do whatever the team really needs you to do. Um, it was the first opportunity that I truly felt and said to myself, like, oh, wow, like you are going to be a, a doctor, like you're doing it, you know? So I felt like they kind of took the training wheels off uh, pretty quickly and kind of kind of threw you in and um, expected you to know how to how to take care of patients, how to, um, you know, pre-round on patients in the morning if you're on a hospital rotation kind of follow those patients throughout the day. And then, you know, you go home and you um, study for your shelf exams, um, primarily through questions is what, you know, most of us do, you world questions. Um, and then, you know, you go, you go in and do it the next day. So it's, it's very much like a clinic and then you, you study for your shelves and, you get graded through clinical evaluations as well as your uh, shelf exam score. Awesome. Yeah. To, and to clarify some of those points, um, like you mentioned, uh, with shelf exams for our listeners, those are essentially mi miniature uh, board style checkups to make sure you're learning what you should be learning uh, to standardize the education process for uh, across all medical schools. Um, cor correct me if I'm wrong on that, uh, that test. No, but, um, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. And then um, also with honors and scoring, um, it's basically an evaluation of how well you are doing on the wards. Are you professional? Are you handling? Are you basically operating in the sense that you are going to be a doctor someday? Even if you're not perfect with how you handled things or if your clinical knowledge isn't perfect, showing that interest to learn, I, I've seen or heard that is so important. Just taking an interest in a particular field or volunteering to ch take on a challenging patient can go a long way. Uh, similar to how you should treat it just with your appy rotations. And, and that kind of transitions too into my next question of, you know, how different are medical rotations from your pharmacy appy rotations? Yeah, so that's a great point. Um, I don't want to give a cop out answer, but I truly feel that it depends on the rotation. I, I've had rotations where I've been responsible for four or five patients on the service. And I would see them in the morning. I'd present them on rounds. Um, I, they'd be my patient and I'd write their note. I'd do all the follow-up and I'd feel like, you know, I'm really at the level of, you know, a resident. Um, but there have been some rotations where you're kind of expected to take more of a role of like shadowing the, the residents and the other physicians. Um, so it really can depend and vary based on, you know, the team you're with, the specialty you're in, et cetera. Um, for pharmacy rotations, I, I felt that they were similar. Um, they were all similar to one another, right? Like you kind of had your, your role as a student and they would involve you, um, to kind of a standard degree across all rotations. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's definitely a good way to compare the two. And it's a little different in the sense that, you know, with pharmacy rotations, you do an acute care rotation that can be in anything per se, um, you know, or you do a community based rotation right, right. versus with, you know, 
medical rotations, some of them are related to you're in the OR for doing this particular surgery or assisting on that surgery, or you're working with anesthesia or you're, you know, an OB-GYN. So there's, there's a lot of different, I guess, more subspecialties that you can get involved in um, versus, you know, you're only limited to one or two acute care Abbey rotations and you only get to see a couple tiny things, you know, so I, I think with the medical uh, rotation system, the fact that you also have two years to do it also adds to the the breadth of of exposure that you get. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Alrighty. Um, so my next question is, and uh, I'm sure that I, I know your answer already, but I, do you believe your pharmacy training has helped you in your medical school and on the wards? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, hands down. So it, it didn't help as much as I would have liked it to like the first two years, honestly, because it, it's a lot of, of, of like, um, knowing the disease pathway and like anatomy, as we were talking about earlier and like memorizing, like genetic conditions and like biochemistry behind diseases. That was really important for step one. Um, clinical years for sure. Like, you know, every patient you see is going to be on the medication. Well, usually every patient, you know, um, so that helps a lot to, to understand and know, like just in clinic today, like this guy was, um, hypertensive. He had a, he had a coronary artery bypass graft in the past. And like, he was on metoprolol for his, uh, his, his blood pressure, you know? And I'm just like, that's, that's not, he needs to be on better, better drugs. So that's just an example, but. Yeah. I love that because especially I'm glad to hear that too, because in my first two years, I would agree with you that there isn't as much pharmacy focus, especially in the first two years of the medical education process. When we cover beta blockers, we cover the first agent and that's about it. You know, there's no other beta blockers exist, you know, in the curriculum yeah. and having that pharmacy background makes me sit there and I'm just like, you know, getting heated thinking about, Oh my gosh, how, how are we blowing through this super important topic? Why aren't we talking about the heart failure guidelines? Why aren't we talking about all these other clinical, you know, facets, you know, PK pharmacokinetics, all, all this like, you know, important material that is has so heavily focused in pharmacy and it is somewhat overlooked. I think, in the first two years of the medical education uh, system, uh, obviously the focus has shifted. So, you know, there's not as much time to, to, you know, dedicate to that particular information, but um, I, that is reassuring to hear that I, I will get to use a little bit more of that, that knowledge base on rotations. Oh yeah, you will. There, there's never like a formal, you know, education. Uh, it's kind of what we get in the first two years, but you're going to be well above your, your peers and your colleagues with your, pharmacy background. Alrighty. So uh, lastly, I'd like to introduce the USMLE step two exam. For our listeners, this is the second national board examination that is used to quantify your merits in medical school. Many residency programs look at a student's step two score when comparing applications for positions. Now that step one, uh, the exam that I mentioned, uh, as well as in episode two with Dr. Bryce Grohal, uh, mentioned as well, is now transitioning to pass-fail, I believe there will be an even greater focus on the performance of this particular exam, not necessarily for, for tests here, but for you know coming physicians in the future. 
So uh, I'm wondering, you know, do you agree with this assessment? And, you know, how are you personally planning for these boards? I'm not sure you might have even taken them already, uh, but I'm curious to know. Yeah, so I um, I took step one scored. Um, so that that was a thing and that is done. And, you know, um, I think that the shift to making step one, you know, pass fail makes step two the only like the only objective indicator, you know? Um, so I, I think that step two will be extremely important for, uh, medical students and future residents in the, in the future years. And even during my year, because I know that it, it's like 50, 50 on, on those people that took step one pass fail versus scored. Um, and step two is, it's very similar to step one, but it's, it's a little bit more practical knowledge. I would say it's more of like, management um questions um questions about like what would you do next um I, and this is very near and dear to my heart right now because i'm studying for step two and i plan to take it in, in june yeah that, that's actually when i'm taking my step one as well nice. may, may 27th so all right but, uh, unless i have to push it back but hopefully that's not the case but um no I, I, that's a good like synopsis on step two and I, i'd agree with you that I, while I'm, you know, happy at the moment that I don't have to put as much effort into step one um, because of the pass fail transition, it does worry me a little bit in the sense that all this pressure has now been shifted to the back end of our, our education process. And a lot of residency programs aren't really sure what to do with, with this new, with the lack of this, what was once a purely objective and deciding a critical component to how to classify, you know, residents for positions or I guess applicants yeah. for residency positions. So it's going to be a very interesting time for medicine. Yeah, I think, I think it's very interesting. And, you know, we'd like to say, oh, well, the shift is going to be focused to research experiences and letters of recommendation, et cetera. But those things are, while important or not, you know, objective, if you're a program director, like I, I imagine that it would be nice to just look at the paper and say, okay, this number sounds good. This number, not so good, you know? and just kind of <laughs> flip through things but i think it's it's going to become a lot more complex and i think that you know residency program directors have uh, a big task ahead of them yeah i i'd agree entirely and uh, one final point to that is you know is this going to turn into uh which you know medical school is more prestigious is that going to be a factor because we no longer have one of our you know objective tests how can uh, maybe a potentially lower tier medical school applicant compete versus, you know, a Harvard applicant if we've taken away that measure. So there's a lot of pros and cons to the decision. And it's something that I think, like you said, is going to be unfolding as the years progress. So uh, I'm excited to see where the guinea pigs for this, I guess, uh, technically, yeah. you know, some of your classmates might also be if they didn't uh, take a scored step one, but it, it is an interesting uh, phenomenon. Nonetheless. Yeah. And I've also, uh, just one more thing. I've noticed that a lot of people in my class um, have, have and are going for more competitive specialties, you know, with, with that past step one score, hoping to, you know, achieve a good uh, a step two score, which, you know, is interesting because it might, might have not been the case if they were to take step one scored. 100%. That's definitely an interesting point as well. Alrighty. Um, so transitioning then. So now for the big topic, I guess that every medical student dreads is residency applications. 
In contrast to pharmacy school, where a growing minority apply for a residency position, every medical student must obtain a residency to practice and use their degree. To further complicate the matter, there's an overabundance of medical students compared to ACGME accredited residency positions, leading to a rise in unmatched graduates. And essentially not matching is, you know, for our listeners is pretty much the worst possible outcome because you're sitting there, you have to either take a research year or some other kind of filler or pick up a job uh, that's not in medicine. So the, the goal is to 100% match the first time around or you're going to be in for a rough ride. And that's not to say that you won't match in the future, um, you know, especially for applicants who are very competitive, who are going for very competitive specialties, um, you know, they have a better chance than, let's say, a less competitive field. But um, I'm curious to know, what are you planning on applying for and what have you done to make yourself a competitive applicant? Yeah, so that's that's a great point. Um, unlike pharmacy school, we we have to do residencies uh, most of the time. And for me, I'm going to imply, apply to internal medicine um, with the ultimate goal of applying to cardiology for fellowship and practice as a cardiologist. So um, for me, internal medicine was. Uh, a great decision. And I really enjoyed my rotation on it. Um, and what have I done to make myself stick out? Honestly, like do, do what you enjoy in medical school, you know, make a podcast, you know, like, like uh, <laughs> doing, um, or, you know, do, do what interests you and kind of you'll, you'll start sticking out. Um, for me, I like to tutor, um, a lot. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of research experience in pulmonology and just study hard, do well in your clerkships, you know, get good step two scores, hopefully, um, and, and good letters of recommendation, but just be very happy about medicine and, you know, good things will kind of come to you. Yeah. And I think what I've seen from and heard from, you know, reports from other classmates ahead of us, is that a lot of, once you kind of get that interview scheduled and everything, it's more so just being a a good person, being charismatic, you know, answering questions in a pragmatic way and just kind of being a resident that a lot of people want to work with in the future. I think that's like, you know, everyone in medical school is all applying for the same positions. And if you haven't noticed, everyone in medical school is, is already, you know, very qualified. So it gets even harder to, to kind of stratify or differentiate between a lot of these applicants. So sometimes it just comes down to having that personality, that one or two features that makes you stand out from the crowd. And, and adding to that, you know, I want to ask you, do you think your pharmacy background will be of interest to program directors and make you, you know, more competitive per se? Does it add that wow factor, I suppose? I would say so, especially in the setting of like, as we discussed earlier, the, the limiting objective factors that these programs can use, you know, if they're sifting through thousands of applications or hundreds or whatever, you know, and they, they see, Oh, okay. Farm D well, she, that's a little interesting. And then, you know, I, I think if somebody knows what a farm D is and knows like everything we had to study and, knows our skill set very well. Maybe they've worked with a pharmacist before. They will um, be very impressed. That's definitely reassuring to hear as well. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, all right. So transitioning to, uh, we'll kind of work on our way through your your process because you have step two on the way. Residency uh, planning has to go, you know, into your next couple months after you take step two. Uh, I'm curious to know. Um, let's talk a little bit about sub eyes, um, sub internships. Um, how important are these? And can you just, you know, tell us a little bit more of what they are exactly and why most of them are done in your fourth year of medical school? Yes. So a sub internship um, known as a sub I is basically an acting um, internship for a medical student. So the best way that it's been explained to me is that it's like a four week long interview where you essentially act as an intern. Um, people applying to different specialties do their sub internship within the specialty that they're interested in applying. Um, and it's done in the fourth year of medical school, because at this time you've had, you know, a baseline and a background of all of the other specialties and, you know, you're gearing up to apply to residency. So you kind of want to have like letters of recommendation that represent the closest thing to what these programs will be receiving um, in a way. So I'm doing my sub-I in internal medicine in July for four weeks. And presumably I'll be working like 12 to 14 hours a day and, uh, you know, getting a letter of recommendation and then submitting it for uh, residency applications. And I think that translates a little bit too to how appy rotations go when it comes to uh, students interested in, you know, pharmacy residencies is a lot of the recommendation is to, to do competitive, difficult rotations that would prepare you for potential residency interviews or interviews or uh, residency spots at different programs. So I, I think that's a, a good way to, to parallel the two. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I guess another question about residency applications is how many programs do students generally apply to? And I'm very keen on expenses because that's a major feature of what I do when I talk about students applying to medical school. You know, how expensive is the residency process? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, two things. One, um, how many is very, very, very dependent on uh, specialty. I would say for the most, um, you know, middle of the road specialties in terms of competitiveness, such as like internal medicine, um, emergency medicine, anesthesia, um, we want to apply to like 30 programs or maybe less, maybe, maybe 20 to 30. Um, however, I have some friends applying to dermatology and orthopedics, and they they apply to much more. Um, so it really depends there on, on what uh, specialty you're applying to. Um, in terms of cost, I heard that this can be paralleled to the cost of applying to medical school in terms of the application itself. However, um, interviews, may be virtual still. Uh, they may keep that with or without COVID. It's kind of like something that hasn't really been been declared yet. So I think that could reduce the cost, you know, significantly in terms of travel um, expenses. Yeah, especially if you're applying to so many programs. And for most applications, depending on how competitive it is, 
I, I find that there tends to be way more interviews for residency positions um, than you know a traditional medical school applicant, just because there are substantially fewer you know residency applications being submitted versus fifty three thousand uh, applications yeah. <laughs> for for medical school. So that's that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. So can you walk us through then? I guess when do you have to submit your your information? When do you rank? Um, I know you will use ARAS, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about that real quick? Nothing too in depth. And then, you know, what follows after you submit? Of course. So I will um, submit the ERAS application with the letters of recommendation and my step two score and all the stuff in the end of September 2022. And then I will wait and I will get interviews, hopefully. Um, in November, December, and January. So I actually scheduled time off during those three months, similar to what I did before medical school. And then after interviews, you kind of wait, and then you can start ranking your programs. Um, you submit your rank list to ERAS no later than the end of February, 2023. And then match day is in mid-March 2023. And then I and then you know where you're you're going. Wow. It's a scary process once you, you kind of lay it all out there like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's it is scary. Um, so you mentioned everything, you know, the process of the application, and you mentioned you you took some time off for interviews. So what is fourth year like then after? Because I know some students might actually have rotations like on match day or or after that. Um, what does that really look like? Is it usually pretty lax or it, does it turn into a giant vacation or are you still expected to, to kind of hang around and, and check all your boxes? So for my school specifically, you have to have uh, at least six credits in the fall and in the spring, um, which translates into at least four weeks in the fall and in the spring, um, which is not a lot. Fourth year is very lax in terms of time off. Like I think I have off like three months in the fall and three months in the spring. I don't even know how much time that leaves me, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of time off. Um, I'm planning to get a puppy. during. <laughs> it's a lot of work. We, we just got one as well. So <laughs> really, oh, nice. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, and so leading into that too, you know, obviously you haven't had fourth year, but you're expecting it to be a little bit easier besides the interview process out of all the years, which year do you think was the most challenging for you? Uh, first year for sure. I think, um, the transition into it and just the sheer amount of information that you're learning in the beginning is the hardest. And it was the most challenging for me. Um, once I kind of got a good handle on it and we transitioned more into clinical um, curriculum and I, you know, I had a better support system, you know, things, things got easier. And I would say third year, best year so far. That's reassuring then because <laughs> I'm looking forward to, it. I just have to survive the step exam. Um, so I guess last question, you know, are there other specialties that are highly dependent on pharmacy knowledge? You know, some come to mind would include like anesthesia or oncology, but are there others that are less obvious? Yeah. Um, first, like probably most of them except for surgery, but 
some like surprising ones for me, definitely like family medicine, you know, um, internal medicine, like general, very, like a lot of it is medication management. You know, the large majority of, uh, of the day is spent on medication management for these, these physicians. Um, other things that I can think of, um, obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, um, just anything in internal medicine, really anesthesia for sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's probably. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good list, especially like with family medicine, there's, there's so much polypharmacy that you're, you're working on and managing and optimizing medications, um, which is just a unique skill set that a lot of the medical education system, at least in the first two years, doesn't really focus on. So I think that's, uh, you know, I, I think it is reassuring to, to know that like pharmacy is much more extensively utilized, um, you know, in the clinical realm versus, oh. you know, what we've seen in our textbooks. Oh, yeah, much more. All right. So we are coming to the final few minutes of our show today. And I want to ask a few f- closing questions. So how do you think your pharmacy degree will help with your ability to practice medicine or communicate with patients in the future? I know you've somewhat answered this a little bit, but we're thinking long-term per se. Long-term, I think it will give me a, a leg up in quickly identifying you know, issues with medications and formulating um, good medication therapy management plans. Um, and I guess on a deeper level, um, it allows me to really understand what what I'm prescribing and, and doing for my uh, my patients as a cardiologist, um, you know, medication is one of our our biggest tools. So I think having that background and that understanding can give both me the confidence and maybe the patient even a little reassurance that uh, you know I know what what's going on and how awesome. much yeah. Yeah. And I guess for individuals considering medical school after pharmacy school, do you have any recommendations you'd like to share with them based on your experiences thus far? Any tips? Yeah, I would say if you really want to do it, try try to tune out people that are telling you not to do it because it was the best decision of my life. And I think that if you have an organized plan, and you're willing to put in a little extra work on the front end, the the dividends are are plentiful in the end. So, uh, you know, I'd say go for it and, uh, you know, keep your head up and keep working. Yeah, and I think that's such a positive message too, to, to kind of reiterate that is, you know, for individuals who are considering this particular pathway, you might come across some resistance. Um, which, you know, not a, especially like, for instance, one of my examples is from my parents. They're thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to add four more years of your education. You're foregoing a six figure salary, you know, and you're at, you're doubling your yeah. loan burden. You know, what are you doing? Like, just don't do it. And uh, obviously right. they're very supportive and that's not something they, they would, you know, took to heart, but um, you know, it's just another feature. Like you might come across that in your clinical setting. Uh, on your appy rotations when you tell, you know, a preceptor or something that you're going into that or considering medicine. Um, so I, I, I love that, that comment. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, so one or two more questions. So I, I want to say, I think there's a general frustration in the pharmacy profession that physicians can sometimes be unaccepting of recommendations or pharmacy input. What are some ways that we can help break down some of these walls per se, 
between the professions and open up better lines of communication? Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And I've seen really good examples of how we can break down these layers um, or these walls uh, actually in practice. I think it's really a good idea to have the pharmacist not only on rounds, you know, in the hospital, but have them be present like before rounds also and have them have them go and see the patients and really just increase the communication that they have with the team. Um, I was on a team in internal medicine and we had a had a pharmacist and she would just be there during the whole process. And anytime any question about medication needed to be answered, she was there. She was ready to, uh, you know, answer the question and, and be a really valuable resource. So I would say just open lines of communication and, and trust between team members. Wonderful. All righty. So we have come to the end of our interview, and I'd like to thank all of our listeners for their attention and interest in medicine. If you have additional questions about the medical school journey, check out my personal website at www.physicianpharmacist.com. Before we let you go, Tess, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. Um, they can email me um, first and last name at gmail.com. Um, also on Twitter, uh, first and last name. So feel free to reach out. Wonderful. And that information will also be included in the show notes. Um, so feel free to check that out at the end. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, Tess. Uh, I look forward to seeing where medicine and pharmacy take you. Best of luck with your rotations and residency applications and step two as well. Best of luck to you too. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All righty. Uh, have a wonderful week and take care.